0: The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to join us here this morning when we trust that you are here with us. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we have crossed the threshold. We are halfway through Advent. We lit the third candle this morning. It means that time for presence is even closer. Starting to get uh, a little bit excited, but I'm getting ahead of myself. We are still in Advent. We're still talking about anticipation. And Advent in our readings this season has been all about anticipation in the form of God's promises given through a prophet. We've been reading through Isaiah in the Old Testament and heard several times over the weeks from John the Baptist. And we've been Talking, or I've been talking in the sermons about this distinction between God's promise made and God's promise kept. And when we're talking about God's promise made, there's an official churchy word for that. The word is prophecy. But of course, prophecy is a touchy word uh, these days. Prophecy has sort of a bad rap. We're um, afraid of prophecy because we're not very good at it. In fact, I was uh, reflecting this week. We're, to say nothing of prophecy, we're not even good about predictions at all, right? People are terrible at both. Our presidential elections, we can't seem to figure out what might be happening. The polls are always terribly wrong. The the expert modelers who are telling us what's going to happen with COVID-19 in the future seems to be orders of magnitude wrong about every prediction. It's like when you're watching the news now, you are standing in line at the grocery store looking at the headlines on the weekly world news. Do you know the weekly world news? It's my favorite newspaper in the world. It's the one who features the woman who claims to be carrying Sasquatch's love child (laughs) or the man who claims to have definitive proof that Donald Trump and or Andy Bashir are flesh-eating aliens sent here to destroy us. My favorite weekly world news headlines, though, are the ones about how the world is going to end. Do you remember that uh, Pastor Harold Camping? Does this name sound familiar to any of you? In 2011, he predicted the end of the world twice. He was wrong the first time, but made another prediction in the same year and was wrong again. And then, of course, there was the end of the Mayan calendar in 2012. Everyone and his brother was predicting the end of the world then there's even an awful john cusack movie about it and then george was telling us last week during the evangelism class about charles taze russell the founder of the movement that would become jehovah's witnesses who also erroneously predicted the end of the world during his own lifetime pro tip okay if you're going to predict the end of the world and you want to use your prediction to gather followers and become popular and influential, predict it for long after you yourself will be dead. Okay, There's nothing more embarrassing than predicting the end of the world and then having to live through it not happening. So prophecy has a bad reputation. We chuckle and ignore the weekly world news very easily. But... It's Advent. And in Advent, and actually, truth be told, throughout biblical Christianity, prophecy plays a big role. We are not afraid to talk about prophecy. God made us promises, and we are expecting them to come true. And in our reading today, we have an honest-to-goodness Prophecy from Isaiah, written approximately 600 years before the birth of Jesus. But I'm not going to focus this morning on what was going on when this prophecy was made, because that's not the important thing about prophecies, is it? Anyone can make a prophecy, as the evidence of Harold Camping shows us. And we all can ignore the weekly world news because nothing in the weekly world news ever actually happens. There's never any Sasquatch love child. I'm still waiting. But you can bet that we'd start paying a lot closer attention to the weekly world news if there started to be Sasquatch babies. And that's always the way it is with prophecies. We say, sure, sure, when someone makes a prophecy. But then we really start to listen. We really start to pay attention if your prophecy. Comes true. And that's exactly what happens this morning. So I want to look at the other end of our prophecy from Isaiah this morning concerning the coming Messiah and the wonderful things that he would do. Good news for the oppressed, binding up of the brokenhearted, liberty for the captives, release for the prisoners, the proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. So, 600 years after Isaiah's prophecy that the Messiah would come, this man Jesus, an itinerant preacher with growing popularity, showed up in the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. And like I said, he was getting to be well-known, so the place is packed. And I'm going to read to you now from the Gospel of Luke, beginning in the fourth chapter. He stood up to read. and sat down the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him he began by saying to them today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing can you imagine that room. This is one of my all-time favorite readings. The hair stands up on the back of my neck. Every time I hear it, I can just picture it so clearly. Every eye in the synagogue on Jesus, a hush has fallen over the room, and Jesus says, This prophecy is fulfilled in me. You are all witnesses. This is amazing. The people must have been... Dumbstruck. I can't even think of, a pro- of an appropriate illustration. I actually spent some time thinking this week, what would have to happen in a church like ours for the same kind of reaction? It would have to be something out of the weekly world news, right? Like an alien invasion or something. They, these people had been hearing this scripture, this section of Isaiah, read to them for their whole lives and their parents' lives and their grandparents' lives. This was... Their number one overriding hope and expectation for generations that Messiah would come. That he would make everything better, that he would proclaim good news to the poor. Freedom for prisoners, sight for the blind, freedom for the oppressed. Truly, he would usher in the year of the Lord's favor. And now here on some random day in a normal church service, this man, this man they'd all seen as a little boy, as a teenager, this guy they know stands up in church, reads that sacred prophecy and says that he is its fulfillment. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, we talk about good news here in this church a lot. But even as much as we talk about good news, I have trouble wrapping my mind around what good news this would have been at that time to those who could have believed it. The Messiah has come. He is here. God's promise is fulfilled. Now, it must be said, of course, that not everyone believed it on that day. In fact, perhaps no one believed it on that day. Before Jesus was even done with his sermon, the congregation had run him out of the synagogue and tried to throw him off a cliff. Now, I'm trusting you to at least wait until I'm finished. (laughs) But to those who would hear his words and come to believe them. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You're waiting for the Messiah. I am him. And this, is, this is a wow. And as much of a wow as Jesus' announcement is, there's another wow here, but it's a little hidden. So I want you to look a little closer with me for just a moment here. In the synagogue, Jesus stops reading Isaiah after the line about proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. That's when he rolls up the scroll and sits down and begins to preach. But of course, that's not where Isaiah stops. We read Isaiah's prophecy this morning. If Jesus had continued, he would have read the next line, which as we heard from when we read Isaiah is, and the day of vengeance of our God. That's the next line. Look back in your Isaiah reading if you don't believe me. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed. Good so far. Bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, all good, Release the prisoners, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God. See, this is a big part of what the Jews were expecting. When the Messiah came, he was supposed to exalt the Jews, but at the same time punish those who had oppressed them. But Jesus stops reading. And by stopping where he did, I think Jesus is making a particular kind of announcement. That Jesus is not bringing vengeance. We all know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But remember the next verse, John 3.17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He has not come to condemn the world, but to save it. Now, of course, this doesn't invalidate Isaiah's prophecy. Not at all. Jesus doesn't need to bring condemnation. This world is condemned already. And here we come to the distinction that we've been talking about throughout Advent, throughout these weeks. The distinction between commandment and promise. Why has Jesus not come to condemn the world? Well, because in light of the commandment, the world already stands condemned. As Jesus continues in John 3, Whoever believes in him, that is, Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And here Jesus, that one and only son of God, has arrived to deliver the promise that will overcome the commandment. The salvation that will overcome the vengeance. Jesus, reading from Isaiah, stops before he gets to the vengeance part. He rolls up the scroll and sits down. Vengeance is not what he's come to bring. He doesn't need to bring the commandment, although he will certainly spend a lot of his earthly ministry preaching the commandment and reminding people of its holiness and glory and power. Jesus doesn't need to bring it. It's already written on the people's hearts. Moses already brought it down from the mountain. The prophets have already repeated it. Jesus hasn't come to bring condemnation. Those who don't believe in his name don't need to be condemned. There's no need for godly vengeance. The unbelievers are condemned by their lack of faith already. The commandment has already done its work. Now Jesus has come to save. Jesus is God's promise kept. A promise to Adam and Eve. That Eve's offspring would crush the head of the serpent. A promise to Abraham that he would have a family and that the Lord would supply a sacrifice in place of Isaac and in place of all believers like him. A promise made to the disciples that he would be with them always, even to the end of the age. A promise made to you that there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. All of the condemnation and vengeance that the world has justly earned, that you and I have justly earned, is taken up into Jesus and laid on his shoulders at the cross. The moment when Jesus cries, it is finished, is God's promise overwhelming his commandment. St. Paul, in his second letter To the Corinthians says that as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in him, it has always been yes. And then listen to this. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Now, Jesus is the word of God. And as we've said these last few weeks and really every week, he speaks to us in two ways. He is commandment and promise. That is true. But at that moment, at that critical moment on the cross, Jesus is not a Jesus of promise and commandment. He is not on the cross a Jesus of yes and no. Our Savior, Jesus Christ the righteous, in that most critical moment, the climax of salvation history, is a promise kept. He is forgiveness. He is God's yes to us. He proclaims the commandment throughout his life. Yes, but at the end, finally, he is a promise. He is the promise. He shouts, it is finished and dies for the sins of the world. The commandment, the vengeance and its no is laid on him forever. And the promise and its yes is given To us, to you and to me. Isaiah's prophecy, just a few more verses on from where Jesus stopped reading, explicitly describes the good news. Isaiah says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Listen to that. He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. In that great moment on the cross, Jesus Christ, who wore By right, by virtue of his holy life, the garments of salvation, the robe of righteousness, Jesus took off those clothes and gave them to you, his goodness for your sin, his yes for your no. It's natural for sinful people to wonder if a good God could ever possibly choose us could ever want to have anything to do with us, if we could possibly ever have what it takes to be acceptable to him. We don't have to wonder, because in Christ, there is no qualification. In Christ and on account of Christ, God's answer is always yes. No matter how many promises God has made, says Paul, they are yes. In Christ so here we are the third Sunday of Advent about two weeks from our annual celebration of the birth of our yes Jesus Christ Jesus who came to earth to be grace and love in the face of judgment to be God's promise in the face of God's commandment and to be God's yes to us. Jesus, who came to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I want to close. By proclaiming that to you in all the specificity that Jesus gave it as he hung on the cross. Jesus came to proclaim good news to you. To bind up your broken heart. To proclaim liberty and release to you. To proclaim to you the year of the Lord's favor. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Messiah, your savior, has come. He is God's yes to you today. Amen.